Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hey, Ben, it's Jerry. Hey, Jerry, it's Ben. Ben, how long have you been following NASCAR? A lifetime. Me too. And how fitting it is that the two we're the two hosts of a Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. A Lifetime in NASCAR highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from a couple of NASCAR historians, namely Ben White and myself, Jerry Bunkowski. We're going to discuss with you some contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've heard through the years as well. You'll learn about where the sport has been, where it'll go, and the inside scoop on some of the crazy stories, craziest stories we've ever seen and ever heard. Back to a lifetime in NASCAR. Ben White, Jerry Bunkowski, along with you. And Ben, I'll tell you, could that final race at Phoenix this past Sunday have been any better? I mean, the outcome, the way that Kyle Larson won uh, his first ever championship. I mean, you know, I, I don't like to use the word magical very often, but this, to me, was a very magical finish, and it really, uh, I felt, really put such a, it, it tied such a bow onto this season. Because, I mean, we had a very rough season last year. You know, kudos to NASCAR getting through the COVID, uh, uh, all the COVID problems, you know, the, the rescheduled races and that. This year was more of a quote-unquote normal season, but what a finish by Kyle Larson. Tell me your thoughts about uh, how you thought this race and this whole season played out well i'll tell you jerry it's one of those situations where i've said all season and especially since you and i joined forces that you know i I continue to say i wish i had just gone and shook his hand and rubbed his head and then got a lottery ticket or something because you know (laughs) it's it's one of those again he got off pit road last pit stop i believe of the day Mm -hmm. and uh his pit crew got him out and there he was out front he ends up winning the championship i mean he could do no wrong all season long, he got 10 victories and probably was in position to get maybe three or four more. I, you know, that Pocono race comes to mind too. Mm-hmm. Last turn, going for the checkered flag, singing his way all the way around the turn and arm on the spider bar, ready to go to victory. And of course, the, the tire blew out there in Pocono because he, he would have had that win. And I, like I said, two or three more. So he very easily, uh, I won't say easily, but he could have maybe had a 12 or 13 uh, win season had things gone right for him, but he did get 10 wins and a championship. He just had a phenomenal season all year long. And, and once again, you, you turn maybe the TV off or you went out to rake leaves or something. And then you go back in and there's Larson out front again, <laughs> you know, so just a phenomenal year for him, but yeah, congratulations for winning his first cup series championship. And gosh, I'm telling you just a phenomenal year for him. And, no matter what else he does in his career, he can say 2021 was a phenomenal year for him, for sure. But, you know, 
I agree with everything you say, but I'm going to add a little bit more of a caveat to that as well. I believe, and you know, uh, per, perhaps one of the be- biggest um, names to say this was Tony Stewart. He said uh, last week that, to him, as far as he's concerned, Kyle Larson's the best race car driver he's ever seen, and that mm-hmm. says a lot. I mean, that just doesn't include, you know, NASCAR, but it also includes IndyCar, includes dirt racing. I mean, you know, Kyle Larson to be considered the number one uh, driver in Tony Stewart's mind is huge, but. What I want to add to what you said, and again, I agree everything you said, I think this is just the beginning for Kyle Larson. I mean, 29 years old, the kid wins his first championship. I very easily can foresee him winning two, three, maybe even four more championships, maybe even more. I mean, he could go on a run like Jimmy Johnson. He could win the next five for all we know. I, th- I think that, you know, one of the things about Kyle that has, I, I think, kind of hampered him up until this year was he was always expected to do well. He was always expected to win a championship. And for whatever reason, he'd fall short, you know, in some of those years that he, you know, he was, uh, you know, close to, you know, getting into the championship for a round or, or what have you. But this year, everything just was put into place. I mean, he had a great organization, the great team, great teammates, uh, and then, you know, capped off with great racing, great crew chief. I mean, every word you can use about Kyle Larson would start with the word great. There's no question about that. And I really think that Larson, you know, now that he's gotten over that hump, now that he knows what it's like to be a NASCAR champion, he's been a champion, obviously, in other series, but to be a NASCAR Cup champion, that is going to go a long way, I feel, in his career. I mean, I could easily see this guy driving into his mid-40s, so let's say 15, 16 more years. I don't think two, three, four, maybe even five more championships is out of the question. What do you think? Oh, I I totally agree with you, Jerry. I think there's a lot of different... uh, uh, things that he he can be driving in the future, and I think uh, the best thing for all of his competitors to do is just go out and find those you know those headache powders that you buy, you know? <laughs> or retire. <laughs> yeah, or retire. You know, uh, just go on and buy whatever you need for those because uh, yeah, he he's the kind of guy that that going back and compare him to Jeff Gordon back when Jeff came on the scene 1990 91 92 when he started winning everything and some of those double digit uh winning seasons that Jeff was having everybody was going out looking for that sprint car driver that dirt driver those types of drivers and it's sort of like deja vu again when you see Kyle Larson going out and winning in on the cup series and in the middle of the week he's out driving a dirt car somewhere and, and either leading the points in that particular division or running second or third in points on the dirt tracks. And it is so amazing that he's got time to go out and have some fun on those divisions while, Oh, by the way, he's leading the points in the cup series. And it, you know, and if I think I was, if I was Rick Hendrick, I'd be a little bit nervous because like, oh gosh, my guy's out there, he's winning on the cup series, but he's out running at some dirt track somewhere. And we've got to make sure that he's safe and making sure he's not getting himself hurt because I really need him to drive as well as he can and be as, as safe as he can so he can drive my cup car. Well, you know, you and I are totally on the same page about that. I was Actually, was going to be my next question to you. I mean, now that he's won the championship, now that he's got that trophy, now that Rick Hendrick also has his trophy, do you get to a point where if you're either Kyle Larson or Rick Hendrick, does Kyle say to himself, 
yeah, I love dirt track racing. I love, you know, going to the, all these small tracks and that kind of thing. But now I maybe have a more of a responsibility as defending champion, maybe to cut back. And conversely with Rick Hendrick, like you were talking about, does he have that conversation with Kyle to say, you know, I know you love this, you know, the other uh, forms of racing, but really would like you to be more focused. And, and, and focus really isn't the, bad, the best word. Maybe just be a little bit more um, exclusive to NASCAR Cup racing as opposed to the other series, you know, other series. And, you know, there's also been a lot of talk and it was brought up right after the race as well. Could Kyle Larson potentially look at maybe going into an Indy car for the Indy 500? Could come, you know, I don't think it would come in 2022, but 2023, 2024, I think we could very easily see that happen. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, from my point of view, I almost think he has to kind of scale back. I mean, maybe instead of, what does he run, run like maybe 40, 50 uh, dirt races a year, maybe he'll scale it back to maybe... 30, you know, I mean, it'd be a little bit of a a decline or decrease. But, um, you know, when you're a defending champion, there is a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And I think that he, uh, you know, may have to, you know, somewhat cut back on his extracurricular racing, if you will. And I don't know if that necessarily has to come from Rick Hendrick or will Kyle himself decide that, hey, you know, I've got all these other responsibilities. I'm the defending champion. I'm a father. I'm a husband. You know, I want to spend time with my family, but I also have all these other commitments, you know, to, to live up to the being a champion. I, I think maybe he himself might say, yeah, maybe I should scale back a little bit. But of course, yeah. you know, one of the things that I remember Kyle Bush once telling me, and, and I'm sure he probably told you, he's told pretty much every other reporter out there, is that, you know, he did a lot of his extracurricular racing be it the trucks or xfinity or you know he did some late models and that kind of thing uh he felt that that made him a better driver so Mm -hmm. it's kind of a dual-edged sword for kyle larson because if racing dirt makes him a better cup driver how can you tell him not to do it you know what i'm saying yeah but i I, but azure i think you bring up a good point i think you have to look at a situation to where you have 500 or so employees at Hendrick Motorsports, and I'm not sure how many of those guys have hands-on Kyle's cars themselves. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have sponsor obligations. You've got those guys working really hard to put his cars in victory lane. And, yeah, there's a responsibility there. And one of the things that comes back to mind when – Bobby Allison was driving for Roger Penske back in the 70s. There was a couple of times, I know of a couple, that he uh, had some problems on one of those short tracks and got hurt mm-hmm. um, rather badly. One time, I remember, uh, up in Wisconsin, and he was um, had several broken bones and mm-hmm. had to uh, work it out to the best he could to get back in the cup car the next Sunday. Even to the point I remember one time he had to sew uh, special straps to his driver's suit to get him in and out of the race car. I remember one time, right. but he was hurt rather badly in one of those uh, short track crashes that he had up at El- Elkhart Lake, I believe. Right, Road America. Right, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there's, I, if I'm a team owner, though, with a Cup Series car, it's a fine line between I want you to be the best you can and practice and get as much experience as you can, but also I need you to be a 100% when you get into my cup car because I've got obligations to my sponsor. A lot of these guys are spending 80-hour weeks to get your cup car ready. So, yeah, it's a very fine line, but mainly I want you to 
to be as a as a friend of mine. I don't want you getting hurt at anything, you know. And and that's another thing too. When you're driving my race car, I know it's safe. I don't know what you're driving on Saturday night. Right. You right. know what you fly to whatever short track you're on. I hope it's good. Let's just say it that way. And I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, and I don't mean this in a detrimental or demeaning way to short track racing or sprint car race, dirt you know, dirt racing, but their um, their safety record. While it has gotten better over the years, it still is not anywhere near as safe, in my opinion, and I'm sure a lot of people will say the same thing, it's not as safe as NASCAR or even IndyCar uh, or NHRA, for that matter, is today. Uh, yes, there have been a lot of advancements, but we've, you know, I hate to bring up this name, but this is, you know, the bit one of the biggest names that we lost recently you know, a few years ago, Brian Clawson. Yeah, you know, in a, in exactly. A, in, a, in a sprint car race, so you know, you never know what you're going to have on a sprint in a sprint car race, especially on dirt. I mean, there's so much um, unpredictability, mm-hmm. more so there than you do have on pavement, because obviously, dirt, even though they try to compact it as much as they can. It's still loose, and you're still going to go sliding no matter what. And you know, it's in, in you know you can get hurt, or you know, unfortunately, tragically, you could get killed, not of your own doing, but by someone else's doing. You know, maybe it might just be a a mistake, or somebody clips you the wrong way, uh, you know, in, in inadvertently, and you know, you go flying over what have you, or, you know, uh, rolling over, or somebody, you know, you're maybe you're stopped uh, after a wreck and somebody doesn't see you and plows into you. I mean, there's so many other elements. And I, I you know, if I'm Rick Hendrick right now, I, I would really question how he will handle that compared to, let's say, Chip Ganassi, who was uh, Kyle Larson's former team owner. Uh, you know, Chip pretty much let Kyle do pretty much what he wanted to do. And in fact, if you recall, what was it, uh, 2019, I think it was, there was a lot of talk at that time about Kyle maybe going to run the Indy 500. And, you know, Chip was talking about maybe bringing him in onto one of his teams, you know, for the 500, you know, maybe on a, a one-off race kind of thing, much like Kurt Busch did uh, back in, what was it, 2000 and, uh, what was it, 14, 15, whatever year mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. So I think Rick Hendrick might have a little bit more of a not as open mind to let Kyle run as much as he wants like Chip Ganassi did. I think that Rick, like you said, he's got a lot of people that he has to um, take care of, so to speak. He's got to take care of all his 500 plus employees. He's got to take care of all of his sponsors, especially for the sponsors on the five car for Larson. But he's also got to take care of Larson and Larson's family. And, you know, you know, maybe let Kyle run, you know, hypothetically, maybe 10, 15 races in the off season. That doesn't preclude the the safety elements we were talking about, though. But maybe let him run in the off season only. Um, I know Kyle, he spent a number of uh, years uh, in the off season going to Australia and New Zealand to race. And I think, actually, I think he's racing again uh, around Christmas this year again. He didn't go last year because of COVID, but I think he's racing in Australia this year around the Christmas time here. I don't think he's going to go to New Zealand because they're having, they have their COVID um, restrictions still in place. But the point is that 
instead of Kyle racing on Sunday in a cup car and then racing, let's say, Tuesday and Thursday or maybe Wednesday, something like that, uh, in the middle of the week in a sprint car uh, race, I would not be surprised if Rick Hendricks says, you know, I know you want to have fun. I know you enjoy this, but we've got to look at, you know, all these other elements as well, too. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I just think that there's a lot on the line here now that he's a championship uh, driver. And there's like we talked about so much on the line. And you bring up a good point. I mean, there he can Rick Hendrick can walk through his shop he can see the cars mm-hmm. that he's going to drive. He knows the people working on the cars he's going to drive each Sunday, but you just don't know. And I don't mean this disrespectfully to anybody. Believe me, I don't. That's working on any of the other cars that, that Kyle would get into. But the chemistry between crew chief and driver and crew chief or driver and crew uh, is extremely important. And when he's flying across the nation or flying across the world, to get into another car, it's a whole new ballgame. And you just don't know what's going to happen there. And we just hope and pray nothing does happen. Right. But anyway, it's just one of those deals that uh, got to be really careful with what you what you hop in each Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday before you get in a cup car. Exactly. Now, you know, we want to talk a little bit more about, you know, episode number 38 and the 38 car number. And we also want to talk about, you know, some of the um, the – Accolades and uh, I'm sorry, the achievements that Kyle Larson did this season. But I want to say one more thing about Phoenix. You know, um, to me, I've been at Homestead for every well, I was at Homestead for almost every single race from I think it was 2001 through 2012, if I remember correctly. I haven't been at Phoenix for the last two cup championship races there. Did you notice any difference this year? compared to the previous years at Homestead. Because I, for whatever reason, in watching the race on Sunday at Phoenix, or from Phoenix, I just kind of got a different, I don't know, a feel, a vibe that was not like what we were used to or we saw at Homestead for all those years. I mean, did you get that same feeling? I mean, yeah, last year was the first year at Phoenix. Of course, it was, you know, the end of the, the COVID season, if you will. But I just felt like a totally different vibe at Phoenix than I got at Homestead. What, what's, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I mean, I was pretty in, into watching those top four. I mean, I was amazed that they were oh, right there, one, two, three, four, most of the day. Yep. I mean, I, I was really surprised at that. I, I thought they'd be a little more strung out than they were. And, you know, you brought up a good point with uh, the – Hotheads question with out of the groove yes. again for the eighth year, the winner of the race ended up being the champion. I, I just think that's a phenomenal statistic. You'd think somewhere along the line, something could happen to where someone may not win the race, but still could be the champion again for the eighth time. The person that won the race is the champion. I just think that's, that's beating the odds a bazillion to one that that's <laughs> happened again, you know, but, Wait, I'm sorry, I'll say this. I just, to answer your question, I mean, I was so focused on the cars, one, two, three, four, all afternoon. I just think the odds of that even is pretty astounding, really. 
Exactly. And, and then didn't Ryan Blaney sneak in there right at the end? And uh, I think Chase actually finished fifth. But, but yeah. you know, I was, I was, I was sorry to, I was going to interrupt you, but you made a, a funny a point. We talked off the air and, you know, maybe you, you when whenever um, when NASCAR goes back to Las Vegas next year, maybe you should get in, in touch with Kyle, rub his head, get a little and then get that lottery <laughs> ticket. I think you might. You know, I may want to do the same thing, you know, I mean, but, you know, the, the Phoenix race. So, like I said, I don't know. I. I did a lot of reading, uh, did a lot of listening, watching TV, that kind of stuff. It just didn't seem to have the, I don't know, the 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 the, the glory, if you will, that the races at Homestead had. I mean, you know, Miami, the Miami area, they really were all in on that particular race. And I may be speaking a little bit out of term here, and I, if I am, I apologize. But again, this is just an observation of my perspective that, you know, in at Homestead, you know, a lot of things were going on during the course of the week. You know, the um, the um, uh, post, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the pre-race um, press conference was typically held in South Beach, which was a great place to hold a press conference. Uh, there were a lot of parties that went on. I mean, you know, you start there on Monday of that week and you do have parties practically every single day up until race day. Um, there just seemed like Miami and the Miami area seemed, really seemed to throw out the red carpet a little bit more. Phoenix... Don't get me wrong. I love the venue. Phoenix Raceway is one of my favorite racetracks. I love Phoenix as a whole. I mean, you know, I've always said if I ever retire, Phoenix would probably be one or two on my list of where I'd want to retire to. But I just didn't get the sense that the Phoenix area was as much behind um, uh, the race as we used to see at Homestead. Now, I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, will they essentially move the championship race from track to track you know, maybe in a few years. I mean, there's been talk that, you know, Phoenix is going to have next year, 2022, and then I believe 2023. But then after that, there has been, I guess, a kind of a growing momentum, if you will, or movement to have the final race at maybe, you know, a place that has the weather that can, you know, accommodate it. I mean, could it be the the new Auto Club Speedway once it's uh, finally, you know, redone? Could it be, you know, Talladega? Could it be Daytona? Could it be Texas? I mean, or Phoenix? Or uh, there's just so many other tracks that I would like to see a final race at. But, you know, just, again, I, I just didn't see the groundswell in the Phoenix area that I saw, you know, for all those years at Homestead. I don't know well, if I'm wrong on that or, or not, but that's just it, the way I perceived it. It could be the Larson Blues. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be that he's won everything, done everything. It could be that it was just, I don't know. I'm just kidding when I say that. It's right. just, it could be that we were just hung over from Kyle Larson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just done it all. So right. I don't know. Right. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Ben. I said between two and five championships he can win. What do you think? How many how many championships do you think Kyle Larson can win? Or are we putting too much pressure on him already, None. even after he's just won the first one? I think he's going to go to at least seven. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! I do. I do. I think I think so. I really do. I think he'll be – I'm not sure. I'm not going to say he's going to go to eight, but I, I will think I, – because, you know, I just think he's got something very, very special. Yes. And, you know, they, and they don't come along very often because you got Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, and Jimmy Johnson. I think he might be the fourth guy on that on that stage. 
Wow, that that's that's a very bold prediction. But you know, I, I I can see where you're coming from. I mean, you know, he's got the youth. He's only 29 years old. You know, um, getting that first championship is always the hardest. And I think, and, and not to say that the successive championships are easier, but you have more of a playbook to to work from once you get that first championship. And I know Jimmy Johnson talked a lot about that when he won his five in a row. That each successive uh, championship was not any easier but that he had a little bit more understanding of what he had to do to win those championships and, and how he had to, to win them. And, you know, even with the, um, the change in the format in 2014, he still was able to come back and win, what was it, 2016, I think it was. So, um, you know, I think Kyle Larson at this point, even with the new car coming in next year, you know, there's a lot of question marks about how that car is going to perform. I, you know, everything I've heard and read, um, it's going to be an exceptional vehicle. It's going to take, you know, the current car to the whole new level. Uh, I just think that Kyle Larson, yeah, is definitely, we, we can definitely, I think we can definitely count on saying that he will be a multi-champ, multi-season champion. Seven, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, pretty that's a lot but hey i think if it like you said if anybody could do it i think kyle larson could do it so i agree with you there i will say this three at least three of those championships will be from electric cars whoa ben (laughs) you are on a roll today with these bold predictions yes yeah because by the time we get to electric cars let's see he'll be he's 29 now he'll be well he'll be 39 (laughs) <laughs> so you know i mean seriously we're we're, we're going to be moving into that within the next 10 years or so so i, I believe you know, i'm on i'm on predictability cloud here today so but yeah hey it's the end of the season you know why not that's right well i've got to ask you and and now you're bold so i'm going to ask you a bold question okay okay Lay it if on. we go if we go to electric cars what do you do with the gas man um he sells hot dogs at Martinsville. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have a, instead of a gas man, a battery man, you know, changing up yeah. the batteries. I mean, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's true. Well, you know, yeah. Okay. No, I, I mean, we'll have brand new, brand new jobs for the gas man. He'll, you know, maybe so. I, I don't know. I hadn't thought that far ahead yet. Well, you know, I understand that electric vehicles are the future for us normal people, you know, us, 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 us uh, car buying people, if you will. But I just, I know that, you know, NASCAR, IndyCar, NHRA, they're all uh, in different forms of development for their own uh, EV cars. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just too old school. Maybe I'm just too old, period. But I just have a real hard time understanding the concept of driving or racing a, uh, an electronic vehicle. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, my whole life, just like you and everybody else, we've all been raised on, you know, gas or, you know, in, in NHRA's uh, um, uh, case for top fuel and funny car, nit- nitromethane. But, you know, the, the uh, I, I just, I'm having a real hard time adapting or understanding the the push to EVs at this point. Yes, I know we've got the climate crisis. I know we've got, you know, so many um, politicians, not only in the U.S., but around the world. I mean, we just had that big conference, uh, the, you know, the um, climate change conference in, in Glasgow, Scotland, a few days ago. Um, but I, I, I well, just... Yeah. 
I, I uh, hesitate to think what is going to happen to racing as we know it if all these cars become electronic vehicles. Well, right, and and I agree with you. And if you if you go back into history, there was a time when someone said, "I just can't imagine having a race tire." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we we went from a regular tire to a race tire, a wider tire, and we went through through that. And then at one point, someone said, well, I can't imagine going from a regular gas tank to a fuel cell. That just doesn't make sense to me. And then we went from, well, I can't imagine going to a driver's suit from your regular clothing, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and and when when Holman Moody came up with the first racing chassis back in, in, in the early 60s, which was about 61 or two, uh, and before that, it was just regular... Uh, car chassis and they welded roll bars into those so it's the same thing so when you have pit stops in the future and they have uh, electronic vehicles instead of doing uh gasoline into or sunoco fuel into those cars you'll raise the trunk and you'll pull a battery out and stick a battery in some way that kind of thing and it's going to be hard for all of us to get used to that, believe me, I'm I'm gonna be the first one in line, maybe either right behind you or right in front of you, saying, "What the heck are we doing?" You know, I'm, it's gonna be that for me. Exactly. But, it, exactly. but it's gonna it's gonna come, and it's you know it, it's gonna be hard. Or maybe they raise the hood some way, and they pop a battery in the inside of the hood, like these lawnmowers. Like, have you seen the lawnmowers that you pop in a battery, like you do an electric drill? Have you seen I actually those? have one of those. Believe it or not, I actually. And do it's have so them. hard to, for me to like I stare at it. No, I know. And, and you pop a battery in it. It's the same. It's gonna be the same way on a pit stop. Right. Right. And it, well, it's just it's just weird. And so it's the same thing through history: 50s, 60s, 70s, all these years. These things have happened and at some point somebody stood in the or sat in the grandstand or stood on pit road thinking that's never going to work and they've made it work so eventually maybe by 2027 28 we're going to be in an electronic car racing thing and and what's going to be weird about that it's not going to sound like yep. what we have today. It's just going to go. Mm, yep, that's uh, right. Like that. So it's going. That's going to be the hardest thing for me to get used to. That's right. Well, you know, when you just made that sound, it just thought made me think about. You remember back in? Oh gosh, this has got to be maybe the early to mid seventies. I'm guessing. Do you remember when Mazda first came out and they had what they called the Wankel engine? It was the triangle engine, if it was. And they. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, what was the the the. Um, the th- uh, the, what was the, the slogan? Um, I remember the rotary engine. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. And they you know, they yeah. always said it, it made a humming noise, and that forever has colored my impression of you know different types of you know how you know motors are developed or cars are developed. I mean, yeah, I, I understand that we have to have progress. Yeah, I understand that we have to do something for the econ- or for the climate rather, um, and. You know, you you what you said a moment ago, Ben. It hit me like a ton of bricks because it really simplified what my fear is, and I think I might be wrong in my fear because you, like you said, that you know we've had such an evolution over the years. You know, you know between uh, gas tanks to fuel cells and all that kind of thing. Maybe this won't be a bad thing. I mean, it, yeah, it'll take a little bit of adjustment. And you're making me see this in a whole different light now, Ben. I mean, you know, just a few words from you and boom, I'm starting to think otherwise. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to go out and, and run out and say I want to buy an electric car right away. But, you know, yeah. I think that 
as we see the development of electric vehicles, both you know on the street as well as certainly on the racetrack, maybe it will be a good thing. I mean, yeah, it'll it'll take some adjustment, but that kind of led me to my next question about this whole thing about electronic vehicles. What do you think is going to be the fan reaction when NASCAR or IndyCar or NHRA, those are the three primary ones that are doing a lot of stuff with uh, EVs right now, when they finally debut their premier vehicle in their premier class, how are fans going to react to that? I mean, is it going to be such a wide disparity of reactions because you're going to have the old school, old time, you know, older fans who are going to probably be extremely upset about it. Then you're going to have the more modern day fans who maybe have a, um, you know, they're, they're feeling it's important because of climate change that we go in that direction. How do you think the fan reaction is going to be to an, an all EV car and depending on which series goes in that direction first, I think they're all going to probably go at the same time just because, you know, they all have connections with the manufacturers of the, you know, the regular street cars that we all drive. So, I mean, you know, I don't think I'd be out of out of um, out of my realm in saying, let's say, by 2025, 2026, 2027, somewhere in that time frame yeah. when we see. NASCAR, NHRA, and IndyCar all at the same time debut, uh, you know, electric vehicle, all electric vehicles in their premier series. Yeah, I think what's going to happen in that situation is the same thing that I feel about the number being moved to the front fender. Mm-hmm. I can't do a damn thing about it. Yeah, that's true. And and I mean, I don't like it, but they're going to do it anyway. And and the old school people are going to be upset about it and for the first 60 days and then they're just going to forget about it <laughs> like like me and the ones that are new to nascar are going to say hey that looks pretty cool i you know that's the way it's going to come down and then after the first five or six races of it they're going to just get used to it and then it's going to happen I mean, it, it, that's the way it is about the number. I just am a very, I just don't like the fact they're moving the number to the front fender. I agree. But, the, but they're not going to listen to me about it, and they're going to do it anyway, and I'm just going to have to get on board, and that's the way it is. So to answer your question, I, I really, I don't think the old school fan has any say-so, and they're just going to get on board, and then they're going to like it, really. I mean, that's kind of a elementary way of looking at it, I guess, or answering the question, but it's going to happen in the same way that in 1962, someone said, what do you mean they're building a race car chassis? That's not a stock car. Yep. That's, that's a chassis that they're building. That's not a stock car. And the same way they said about a Goodyear wider racing tire, that's not a, that's not a car. That's not a tire I can buy off the showroom floor. It's the same thing, and, it, and it, evolution is coming, and you just have to get on the train and ride the train. It's the That's way right. it really is going to have to happen. And you know what? It might actually uh, be something that we all kind of like. I mean, because we – what's the old saying? I'll think of it in a minute. I'll tell you what it is, but it's a really cool thing. You ask me something else, and I'll think of it. Okay, <laughs> but, it, but it really fits what we're talking about. It's, well, well, here's something that, that I'll, here's another, and I'm going to I'm going to look for another Ben White bold statement here. Okay. So our buddies over at uh, MRN and PRN 
What are they going to do going forward? Because almost every single pit stop we hear, and so-and-so is in the pits, and he's going to get a full tank of Sunoco Racing Fuel. Well, we're going to have electric batteries. How are we going to say Sunoco Racing Batteries? I don't know. No, I'll tell you how it's going to go. Uh-oh, some, here we go. Some, yeah, I'll tell you. Some some company is going to be coming into the sport, and they're going to have this major announcement of saying XYZ Battery Company is going to be the official sponsor of the batteries that's going to fuel the cars or charge the cars right. that's going to f- fuel uh, whatever the word is that's going to give the, energize the cars that are the Cup Series, okay? And so they're going to come down pit road, and it's going to go something like this. It's going to say, and Kyle Busch is coming down the uh, pit road, and he's going to stop for a, a battery change in tires, and yeah. they're going to pop. They're going to pop the trunk or top pop the hood. And uh, the crew members are under the hood of this number 18 M&M, you know, Toyota. And the hood is up and they're, they're changing two batteries instead of four batteries this time. <laughs> Something to that effect. I and, love it. I love yeah, it. And that's the way it's going to come down. This is a two battery t- change instead of a four battery change. And they're going to go 50 laps this time instead of 75. Something to that effect. Well, let, let, me, let me throw a different... Yeah. An allergy at you then. Okay. Okay. We are anticipating and predicting that they'll be swapping out batteries. Mm-hmm. But could there be, and I know that there there has been some development talks about this. I've even talked to people at NHRA about this, that there would be a, for in essence, a charging plug instead of batteries, a charging plug. Okay. That yeah. you could, you know, you could have like a quick charge, you know, maybe a, a 10 second charge, what have you. Kind of like what we're doing with the gas now. Where That's you, actually you know, a better idea than what I said. <laughs> well, I mean, is <laughs> is that potentially a, um, a viable option? Because, I mean, what you just said about changing up batteries, it got me thinking, okay, well, you know, when I think of a car and I think of a battery, I think of one battery. But you're right. I mean, we could have two, three, four batteries in there. How do you change them out and that kind of thing? Or could maybe we have a plug type of deal, something no. that would recharge those batteries, you know, in a very quick uh, possible No, that's, that, that's actually a better idea than what I was saying, because what you do is you could plug it into the... Where the gas tank right. would be, or where the where the you'd plug in a, a gas can, right? And you just plug it in. It's like a five, ten, fifteen second, twenty, whatever, thirty. Now it could be a thirty second stop. I don't know, but I mean, I'm just I'm just guessing. But you plug it in for thirty seconds in some way. It's like they got a thirty second, you know, charge. Charge. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's that's the fun part. And see your fans would come back to the racetrack to see what a 30-second charge looks like. That's and right. That's exactly I don't know. Right. I mean, it's just it opens up a brand-new world. And, you know, if here's another thing, too. If you look back into history, uh, say, I'm guessing 1955, let's take that year. When you made a pit stop at Darlington, you had the old um, hardware store gas can Mm -hmm. that you would use on the side of the highway if you ran out of gas. Right. So that's the kind of thing they would use. And then the early, uh, I want to say late 60s, they come up with the red can Mm -hmm. that they use now. So there would be fans, I guess, that would come to the racetrack to see what the big red can was all about. (laughs) Right. right? So to say, because it was new and they had that new plug-in thing. Well, it's the same thing when they come into the charging of the race car in the future they would use that and so somebody i'm sure fans when this 
grand thing happens down the road, 2027, 2028, fans will flock to the racetrack to see this brand new charging charge racetrack or race car right. and uh, to see how what this is all about, listen to how they sound and what it's like to race these things at Daytona. So yeah, I'm sure it's gonna come in the next seven, eight, 10 years, but it opens up a brand new curiosity for race fans to want to come to the racetrack and see what a race is all about. It's gonna be different. There will not be the loud, very, very loud engines that you hear today It'll be a brand new world, kind of like the transition of what we're going through now with the mm-hmm. Gen 7 and the new numbers and the new drivers and the road courses versus super speedways and all the change. I'd like to see NASCAR not change so much, but we're, we've gone through these transitions in the past in NASCAR history before. Mm-hmm. It's time to slow that down a little bit, I think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Let's stop changing so much because fans, are, their heads are spinning because of all the change. Exactly. Now, exactly. now it's time to slow that down some and let's stop and let's race a while and let's stop changing. Exactly. Well, you know, we're going to start having some guests coming up here on the, on the Lifetime of NASCAR in the next few weeks. And the first guy that popped in my head in what you were just saying, we've got to get Chocolate Myers on. Probably the yeah. most famous gas man NASCAR has ever had. I would love to hear his take on what he thinks about, you know, the electronic vehicles and, you know, would there, would the gas man become essentially a electric, um, plug man? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and they might be the the best guys in the world for that because they're used to doing it. Yeah. You, you wouldn't have to train them to do it. It's just, you know, it's, it's like they would, they know how to move into that area and how to plug that in. I mean, it's, it'd be a pretty simple transition. I would think depending upon how they design it and, uh, you know, instead of plugging in gas, you're plugging in electric charge. Right. It, it'll be interesting to see how they develop it for sure. It really will. Now we kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent here, Ben, and I, I wanted to go back a little bit to Larson, Kyle Larson and, you know, winning not only the championship, but it was his 10th win of the season. And, you know, uh, we've got a list here that you, you compile and I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you, but you know, the, the, um, uh, there have been a number of drivers who have won the championship and they've done it by winning 10 or more races in a season. So um, I'm going to give you the floor and let's, let's talk about some of these guys because, you know, these are some of the best and biggest names we've had in the sport. And they had put up some great numbers in individual seasons that they also won the championship in too as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, leading the list, no question, the king, reason why they call him the king, Richard Petty won seven championships during his career, 200 victories, seven Daytona 500s, mm-hmm. no question about the king. But in 1967, he won 27 races that year of 48. Now, you got to keep in mind, back in the 60s, they ran many seasons of 48, 49, 50, 51 races, mm-hmm. not like the uh, 36 races we run today. A lot of those were on sh- uh, short tracks. Sometimes they'd run... Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, Friday nights, and then get into the bigger races on Sundays. But uh, uh, 27 races in 1967. And then you get back to Tim Flock, 1955. And these are all championship years, by the way. Right. Tim won uh, 18 races in 1955. 
you look at David Pearson, 1968, he won 16 races that year. And then 1966, David won 15. And another remarkable year for David, he won 11 races in only 18 starts. That was mm -hmm. a phenomenal year, 1973. That came with uh, the Wood Brothers. And just thinking about those numbers, 11 wins in 18 starts for just a phenomenal season. Kel Yarborough won 10 wins, 1974, and he did it again in 1978. He, Kel won championships in the Cup Series in 1976, 77, and 78, and did that for Junior Johnson as the team owner. Uh, and also Junior, I'm sorry, Jimmy Johnson, uh, no relation to Junior Johnson. Uh, he won 10 races in 2007, uh, and that was his second of seven championships. And also, you have to look at Jeff Gordon, right. who uh, in 1996, he won 10 races for, for Rick Hendrick, Hendrick Motorsports. 1997, he won 10. Mm -hmm. And then in 1998, he pulled off 13 victories for uh, Hendrick Motorsports. So all of those were phenomenal seasons. And so you think, well, wow, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Larson won 10. It was a great season for Kyle Larson. Not as many, of course, as what uh, Richard Petty won and what Tim Flock won and what David Pearson won, but still, for a modern era season, uh, did a phenomenal job in 2021 to win 10. Right, exactly. Well, you know, the one thing I've got to ask you about Larson winning 10, and I, again, I don't mean this in a detrimental way. I'm just comparing something. He wins 10 this year. Now, Kevin Harvick won a season high, nine, or, you know, a series high, rather, nine wins in 2000. Doesn't even win a race in 2021, which is almost unheard of that he, you know, he went from so high on the winning ladder last year, and then he doesn't win anything this year. Is there any kind of a fear that? that could happen to Larson? I mean, they're two different drivers. Obviously, they're both very talented, but, I mean, could... Let me ask you this in a, in a different way. Can Kyle Larson potentially drop down and maybe win only one or two, maybe three mm -hmm. tops next year, and people might call it an off year? I mean, or do yeah. you think that he has it in him to continue to win 10 or more races in a year? Yeah, he, he could, and that's why... He start in February, starts staring at the ceiling when he lays in bed at night because it could very well be that way. And, and there's no rhyme, no reason for it. You know, you could ask Kevin Harvick, why did you guys not win a race in 2021? He's like, I have no idea. Yep. And it, it's because, you know, all the pieces of the puzzle have to fit. And I think if you, on the other side of that equation, if you ask Kyle Larson, why did you win 10 races? He could give you that standard answer where the crew worked hard and my crew chief and I talked and we got everything together and all the pieces fit. But I think if you really pinned him down and said, why did you win 10? He said, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's because really, because it's like, oh, everything has to fit perfectly. And you know what? This is my opinion, but I think 90, 89% of that is preparation and the other 11% is luck. I mean, think well, there's about some it. perspiration in there too. As yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of there's some prayer there too. I'm sure, but uh, think about what I'm saying on that last pit stop at Phoenix. Okay, if his guys 
had not gotten him out from fourth, I believe is where right, he was, fourth, to right. first. Right, right. No championship. Yep. It's, I mean, unless he could have caught whoever was out front, Mark Truex or Denny. But, I mean, that's the fine line I'm talking about. And all year long, there's been other times that that crew has gotten him off a of pit road or he made that pass on the outside or inside or a caution came out exactly right or – you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those those things just happened the way they were supposed to happen. They just fell into place. I'm not taking anything away from the crew or him because they had to be in position to win. But I'm saying those pieces of the puzzle just fit exactly where they needed to fit. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And all of a sudden he was where he needed to be. But <clears throat> excuse me. there were times that maybe – uh, he didn't get off pit road just right, or maybe uh, someone else passed him at just the right time and he didn't win a race. Or like, where was it? He finished 14th. Was it Martinsville? Mm-hmm. So things just didn't pan out. So I'm just saying that there were 89% preparation, 11% luck and prayer. Right, right. So you know, I mean, he. If it, so if he answered the question honestly, he'd say, "Don't know," but. We'll take it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had a follow-up question, and I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. What I wanted to yeah. ask you about it. Um, but what was it? There was while you're thinking, I'll mention this. Okay. You know, the talking about Kyle Larson, he, he's one of those guys like Jimmy Johnson, like Jeff Gordon, like Richard Petty, like this, the, the special guy who is – just a slight tick, maybe better than the rest. I mean, he's like Tony Stewart said, he could get in anything a Bobby Allison. He could get in anything and be a sixth, eighth place car and win with it. Some guys can do that. Some guys just, it's going to remain a sixth or eighth place car. They can adapt to the situation they're in. The tires maybe aren't as good as they should be. They can make them as good as they, they need to be. He, they just drive with a seat of their pants. Maybe not looking at the controls, you know, might, maybe not studying the dashboard as much as they need to be. Block that out and just drive with a seat of their pants. And he's sort of like the Kyle is sort of that way. Because of all the experience he's had on dirt, he can adapt to whatever those track conditions are. Right. Some drivers can't do that. So he's just a little bit, a little bit different. He can bring the car home a little bit further up than maybe some other drive. I take nothing away from those those guys because I'm not a driver. I'm not in the driver's seat, but he's just got that little bit, a little bit more. Right. Well, I, I remember the question I was going to ask you. One thing I noticed about Kyle this year in his driving style was significant. And you, you kind of just touched on it about 30 seconds ago, but one thing I felt was very significant in his the the way he changed, and that's my opinion, he changed, was he had a reputation, you know, be it a, a big track, small track, whatever the short track, whatever the case was, he would almost always run up against the wall. He had a knack for that. He was probably the best guy when it came to you know driving through any track up on the, against the wall. He didn't do that that much this year. And I was, I don't know, was that a change from his perspective? Is it a crew chief change? Did Rick Hendricks say, you know, let's be a little bit more towards the middle to the bottom part of the track? 
Did, did you notice that too as well that he didn't really you know ride the high rail if you will as much as he has done in the past mm-hmm. years and could that change have been part of the reason why he you know which led to the championship eventually I, i'll be honest with you uh, jerry i didn't really notice it that much um i just because i maybe just hadn't been watching for it i don't know maybe uh maybe it was he and cliff daniels talked about it some or mm-hmm. I'm not real sure, but maybe he's willing to try other things to see, you know, maybe there's things that uh, he maybe picked up on in Mm -hmm. in certain racetracks that he hadn't tried before. Um, And that's that's some of that openness and willingness to try. Some drivers that say, nope, this is what I'm good. This is where I, what got me here. This is what I'm going to try. And that's the difference between uh, a great, a good driver and a great driver. Great drivers will try things, and uh, the, okay, well that didn't work or that did work, and uh, he's just, I guess, just one of those guys that will will try things like that. And it's like some tracks that will work, some tracks that will not work. But I, I don't know what it is about him. He's just, he's not one of those. He's not a boastful driver at all. He's mm-hmm. not someone with a personality like, hey, look how great I am. Look at what I did today. He's not one of those types. Right. And he, when he does an interview, he's not over the top about things. He he doesn't let his words slip. He, like, for instance, if things don't go right, okay, things didn't go right today. I did this. I did that. I made this mistake, that mistake. We'll try to do what we need to do next week. He doesn't blame anybody that I know of. I've never really heard that. Maybe maybe he hasn't. I missed it. But he's just one of those types that this is what it is. This is what we did wrong. This is what we got to do right. Uh, we'll, we'll just go on to the next race and see what we get to what we need to do better. Right. You know, and well, I, I admire that. Right, right. Well, you know, to follow it up, and I don't believe anyone asked him in the post-race, unless I may have missed that question, but... There is such a change in Kyle Larson from 2020 to 2021. And obviously I'm talking about the unfortunate incident uh, when he used a word that he should not have used, a very um, very negative, very hurtful word that mm-hmm. led to his being suspended for most of the season last year. The fact that he came back from all that uh, you know, and he, you know, let's face it, Kyle Larson, when he was suspended by NASCAR, at the same time, he was also embraced, and I'm not saying for the use of the word, but he was embraced as a race car driver by the the sprint car world. They allowed him to race in their races, and he he did phenomenal, did very, very well. He, you know, there, I think there was an interview I remember reading somewhere that, you know, he is actually, had actually thought about maybe he would just stay in sprint car racing for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. But from a serious standpoint that he was able to come back from last year's um, unfortunate circumstances and, you know, using a word that he should never have used, he learned so much. Sorry about my dogs barking. We've got probably somebody walking by here. Um, But, you know, that he came back from that and he was able to overcome everything and wind up winning the championship. I mean, that's almost like a Cinderella type of story. Do you feel that maybe going forward from now on that we're going to be talking so much about Kyle Larson, the champion. We will not be talking about what happened to him 
back in 2020 that led to that suspension. I, I would like to think we were over that. We're past that, and we're going to look forward to the future of him being a, a you know a multi-year champion. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to look back at that at all in the future. I think that's just something that's in the past, and you know sometimes negatives. Uh, turn into positives. Right. We, we've all made mistakes. I've, God knows I've made mine <laughs> and we've all made them. And hopefully that when negatives occur, then they can turn into positives. And, um, uh, I have, uh, because I'm not perfect myself, none of us are. And hopefully that, that timeout area hope helped him to grow. Yes. And, and, uh, uh, opened up opportunities for him to be better, and that's uh, that opened up an area for him to, you know, give himself a little bit of time to self-analyze. Right, right, right. He did something wrong, and uh, so and it and as, as it turned out, it turned out to be presented with a timeout to give him an opportunity to get into a new situation. That yeah, it turned into a, a really good situation that led to going to work for Rick Hendrick and turned into a championship year. So, right. no, it wasn't a good thing. And, and I think he will always regret that. It was, you know, being in a pu- in the public eye, um, he paid for it. And but that's in the past. Exactly. We, we always grow from our mistakes and it's in the past and, It'll remain in the past, and he exactly. just he became a better person for it. So, and, and a lot of us, you know, a lot of people, you know, just general race fans, I think they learned a lot too uh, from, you know, the the example that he showed, and you know, I mean, he did handle it very well. I mean, you know, and that he illustrated to people why what he said, he didn't think it was as bad as it was, but once mm-hmm. he learned the significance of that word and how hurtful it is he became a changed person and i would like to think that a lot of uh people out there particularly race fans who follow kyle larson they may hopefully have learned some lessons as well from what he you know he learned as well too but Mm -hmm. but ben you know we're coming up to the end of the show here we have a couple more things that we want to talk about and you know as we do every week we talk about the episode number and how that relates to car numbers in nascar and this episode for this podcast is number 38. Uh, we've had a, a interesting run the last few weeks of 35, 36, and 37. And, you know, definitely if you haven't heard, uh, heard those podcasts, you definitely want to go back in and listen to them because they got – we have some interesting numbers to talk about in those those uh, podcasts. But 38, we kind of go back to more of the winning ways because the last couple of numbers we've had, not a whole lot of wins, quite frankly. But, you know, with the 38, we have quite a few rent, uh, drivers. We have a total of seven wins. But – uh, you, you came up with the research on that, Ben. Tell us about the number 38 and its significance to NASCAR. Sure. Well, number 38 uh, has seven victories, as you said. Uh, the first time it ran in NASCAR was June 19th, 1949, the very first race that NASCAR held, the first strictly stock race, which is now the Cup Series. It ran the Grand National Series for many years, but it's called the Cup Series now. First time it ran was Lee Petty, number 38, 
And of course, that's the father of Richard Petty. As it turned out, Mr. Lee Petty flipped a car several times that day. So he didn't like number 38, and he eventually switched to number 42. And number 42 actually came from the last two numbers of a North Carolina license plate. And it went on to be number 42, 43, 44, 45. That was Petty Enterprises, uh, you know, patriarch sort of numbers that uh, he chose. But 38 was uh, run that first day, and then Elliott Sadler ran one, two races with it in the early 2000s. Uh, Gwen Staley, who actually helped build North Wilkesboro Speedway, ran it and won three times. The great two-time champion, Ned Jarrett, won one race with it. And Bob Welburn, uh, and also a NASCAR champion, won one race with number uh, 38. So that's sort of the history of the number. But yes, Lee Petty ran it one time and he didn't like it after he flipped the car and they had to thumb a ride home back to Level Cross. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> North Carolina. And so back in those days, you could actually tow a car to the racetrack right. and uh, tape up the headlights and uh, just use your belt that you wore around your waist and uh, belt the number of the door shut. And then uh, after the race, if it was drivable, you could drive it back to your house. And right. hopefully you didn't scratch it and you could wipe it off and your wife maybe wouldn't be mad at you if you didn't scratch it. <laughs> especially so, if it was uh, her car. Yeah. Especially if it was your, yeah, especially if it was her car. That day it was borrowed from a friend. I can't imagine what Mr. Petty said to the friend after he flipped it several times and he talked to a friend and let him drive the car. I don't know what he did to, after he got back home and said, sir, uh, sorry, but I wrecked your car. So anyway. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. the story of number 38. That's right. That's right. And finally, as we uh, close in on the finish line of today's uh, edition of A Lifetime in NASCAR, we talk every week about our driver of the week. And I admit, I did not know this gentleman's name. I know a name that is similar to his because he was a well-known, his name was Bill Wade, and he was very famous as a, a quarterback for the Chicago Bears uh, back in, I think it was the 60s, 50s, whatever it was. Uh, but you you want to talk to tell us about Billy Wade. Um, he's our driver of the week. Tell us about him, Ben. Yeah, Billy Wade was a uh, up-and-coming driver in the early 60s. He drove for a well-known team owner. His name was Bud Moore. Mm-hmm who uh, Bud had many wins uh, on the cup, in the Cup Series, namely with the driver Buddy Baker. But uh, interestingly, uh, Billy Wade won four consecutive races in 1964. They came on July 10th, July 12th, July 15th, and July 19th, and they came at Old Bridge, New Jersey, Bridgehampton, New York, Islip, New York, and Watkins Glen, New York, in consecutive weeks. And uh, sadly, we lost Billy Wade in a tire test on January 5th, 1964 at Daytona, but he won four in a row. And he was an up-and-coming driver. Everybody loved Billy. He was a winning driver. And uh, But it, like I say, he was doing a tire test at Daytona on January 5th, 1964, and a tire exploded going into turn one and lost his life there. And uh, just sadly, we lost him. But uh, he was an up-and-coming driver, and he really had a great career uh, getting ready to start in NASCAR, and just we lost him. 
You you but, said uh, four in a row. Did I hear you right? You said it, was it four races in like a nine day period, or did I yeah. him nine? He wow, did, sure man, did. amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was in the what's called the Northern Tour. They used to go in segments back mm-hmm. in those days. They would race in the South, go up to the North, go out West, come down. Uh, it may be the Midwest. So they sort of, and at times they would race that way and they would race, like I said, early in the show, they, they would race during the week, uh, during these schedules, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So as I said, July 10th, July 12th, 15th and 19th, wow. they raced up there in that, in that, uh, Northern time or Northern area. I mean, meant to say. And he won all four of those races, including uh, the super speedway race at Watkins Glen. And then uh, later, in the, early in 1965, is when he lost his life there at Daytona. But Man. just a remarkable driver. And uh, so, yeah, he won four in a row that year. Yeah, in, in a way, I mean. Number 64. Right. In a way, certainly the circumstances were different. But he was kind of, uh, to me, in my opinion, he, would, he was kind of like um, – Alan Kowicki in a sense that, yeah. you know, he was just getting ready to break out. And, you know, Kowicki mm-hmm. wins his first championship. And then, you know, he only was able to enjoy it for a few months before he was tragically sure. killed in a plane crash. So, right. Billy, yeah. Billy Wade, I, I was not familiar with his name, but you definitely uh, you definitely have me uh, learning about him. I mean, that, yeah. that's, he was right. He was from Houston, Texas, and he came to the south uh, to on, on the East Coast to to try to his hand at being a. Uh, what was in a Grand National driver in the NASCAR right. Cup Series, and uh, and unfortunately he was not able to blossom into a great driver, but he had a lot of potential, and and we lost him too soon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Ben, as always, thank you ever so much. Again, I, I mean, I love listening to you. You could tell me stories for hours, and I would not fall asleep. I would just, you know, you, you would just make me feel so, uh, it makes me feel so good to learn more about history that I really am, was not aware of. And, um, you know, I I, we, I like to kid you off the air that, you know, one of these days we're going to run out of stories. I don't think we're ever going to run out of stories. You've got so many of them, and they're all good. So, but, well, thank but, you. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk with you. I really enjoy our time on on the show it's a lot of fun i really do Thank it you. is and I, I i agree the 100 I'm, I'm the same way so so we're going to have a little bit more fun same time same place next week and we're going to continue on during the off season every week as well too fans so you definitely want to make sure you tune into every episode of a lifetime in nascar he's ben white i'm jerry Blankowski, and that's my dog barking in the background he wants to get himself on the air i guess or something like that so but we had a great time and hope you enjoyed the the episode of uh 38 episode number 38 of a lifetime in nascar NASCAR. We'll catch you next week right here on the Lifetime and NASCAR podcast. Have a good week, everyone. Take care.
Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.